Again, it's my privilege to, to, to preach this morning, and we're continuing with our series in Mark. And uh, I've called this message A Second Touch from Jesus, and I trust that as I speak this morning, um, you'll see exactly why I've chosen that title. But we're going to look at a very chunky portion of Scripture. We're going to look at the first 26 verses of Mark chapter 8. And there are three little stories that I'm going to reference that all link together for one central idea uh, that Jesus wants to get his disciples to understand. And so those three things are the feeding of the 4,000, um, and then secondly, the demand from the Pharisees to, to, to Jesus to provide a sign to them, and then thirdly, the healing of uh, the man in Bethsaida. And so uh, those three stories all link together, and it'll become clear why they do link together as we go forward. But let's just start by reading the first portion. Uh, I'm reading from verse 1, Mark chapter 8. It says, um, During those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They have already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told his disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and about 4,000 were present. So here again is an extraordinary miracle of Jesus feeding another 4,000 people. Um, and if you remember, there's already another event where Jesus fed 5,000 people that we've looked at already, um, and that first feeding of the 5,000 took place in the predominantly uh, area of Israel, and this feeding of the 4,000 takes place in the Gentile area, uh, which is really interesting, first for the Jew and then for, that, for, for the Gentile. And these two events are really, really important events in the ministry of Jesus. And the one lesson that Jesus wants his disciples to understand and to know is this, that he is generously capable of looking after and caring for all of his people. And I think that's what he's trying to teach his disciples. And they fail to understand it. They have not yet understood. They saw the miracle with the 5,000, and they didn't really understand. And now Jesus does another miracle with the feeding of the 4,000 to try and help them understand that he is more than capable of generously taking care and providing for every one of his children. And so here yeah, this miracle plays out on the far side of the, the Sea of Galilee uh, in the district called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. And we see this large crowd is assembled. And no doubt the healing of the deaf-mute that we looked at last week was one of the contributing factors to why this large crowd had gathered. But I'm also convinced that uh, part of the large crowd was the result of that man's obedience, that he went and he told everyone what Jesus had done for him. And so now when Jesus comes back to the district of the Decapolis, there are people that have heard about Jesus and what he did for the demoniac, and they've come to see Jesus for themselves. So I'm convinced that it's also um, a reason why this crowd is so large. 
Um, and it got me thinking that one man's obedience produced a lot of good for a whole lot of other people. And that should encourage us as well, that when God calls us to do something, if we simply obey Him, our obedience can be a great blessing to other people. So I want to encourage you, whatever God has asked you to do, and uh, you might know the voice of the Spirit speaking to you about something, obey Him, and your obedience could be a great blessing to a whole lot of people. And so we see from the story as the crowd gathers that um, there's a great need. They haven't eaten for three days, and uh, there's this remarkable compassion that we see in Jesus again, and He has compassion on the people. And so He asks His disciples to help. And you, do, you notice their first response is not really positive. They, they start by saying, no, Jesus, actually, we're in such a remote place. It's not possible to gather uh, food for these people. In other words, they're saying, Jesus, this is not really our problem. We, we don't want to deal with it. And so Jesus doesn't leave it there. He, he pushes a little bit further and he says, no, well, how many loaves do you have? Uh, in other words, I'm making this your problem. I'm asking you to be responsible for these people. What do you have that can change the situation? Uh, you take responsibility for helping. And so then the disciples say, well, actually, we do have something. We have seven loaves and a few small fish. And uh, it's clear from their response that they are not really expecting Jesus to do anything more than, than, uh, th than that. Um, they're not really expecting another miracle uh, like they've seen before. Um, and so in spite of their unbelief, Jesus takes what he's given and he multiplies it and um, feeds 4,000 people. And afterwards, there are seven basketfuls full of extra food that are collected. And the point is that Jesus is giving his disciples a second chance to understand that he is generous and he wants to provide for all of his people. And they still don't get it. <laughs> Even after this time, we've been trying to be shown again, demonstrated again, that he can feed 4,000 people. And so Mark's narrative, his story moves on quickly. Um, and we read this in verse 10. It says, after he had sent them away, he, gets, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanthia. And the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. And to test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. And he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, he got back into the boat, and he crossed to the other side. So he has the second little story that links to the first. And we see the disciples asking Jesus for a sign. Uh, well, the point is, why were they doing that? Well, we'll see in the coming chapters as we explore Mark further exactly what the Pharisees were expecting from Jesus. Uh, but it's enough to say to you this morning that uh, they believed that uh, when Messiah came, he would do extraordinary and miraculous things that would happen. And the problem was that in Galilee over the years, there had been many false messiahs and people had had political motives and many other motives and had presented themselves to the people as the Savior. And the Pharisees always demanded that these people prove uh, by doing a sign that they were who they said they were. And so obviously that was according to their, their tradition as well, the Pharisaical tradition, that they demanded a sign. And so they do the same for Jesus. It's a direct challenge to them to say, actually, well, prove you are who you say you are. Um, but remember, the Pharisees had already attributed Jesus' power to do miracles to Beelzebub. And so they've already said, your power comes from the devil to do these things. And so Jesus flat out refuses to give any sign because he knows that although the Pharisees see, say that they want to see the hand of God, that they really are blind to the hand of God 
because they haven't recognized the hand of God upon himself. And so for Jesus, God had revealed himself through all of creation and through himself, the person of Jesus. And his, his um, phrase that he keeps saying is, anyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see will recognize who I am. And so he doesn't give in to the pressure to, to, to perform another sign for the Pharisees. He says, in effect, you should recognize me now for who I am. And I was just thinking that we face very similar challenges in our post-Christian Western world. Uh, we are under pressure as the church to demonstrate our relevance to our culture uh, in which we live. And we can fall into a trap as we try to respond to that pressure if we don't confront it wisely. Um, so we can quote people that have been used in the history of the church in a radical way. We can look at people like John Wimber and other people that have encouraged people to um, uh, seek after science, uh, a ministry of signs and wonders, which is a very powerful and a very good thing to uh, evangelize. And I think it's something we should all be desiring. But as we do that, we can convince ourselves that if people just see dramatic healings and deliverances, surely they'll believe our message. They'll believe what we say if they see miracles. Or in a similar way, we can think that um, if we just are able to demonstrate radical social change uh, and the rights of a better deal for women in our culture and minority groups and um, genuine care for the poorest in our community, if people can just see us living that out, then they will believe our message. And so we can hold up people like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, um, Desmond Tutu, many others that you can think of from the recent history to prove our point. But here's my simple reason for saying all of that. Um, when I look at those amazing lives of men and women, none of them did what they did to impress society. They simply did what they did because they loved Jesus and they've been called by him. And what they did as, as they lived their lives the miracles followed what they did. And so uh, let us never give in to the pressure of trying to prove our worth and our authenticity uh, to go and go by going after dramatic uh, signs of the kingdom. Because as we do that, we can put ourselves at risk of two simple things. First of all, that we're in danger of confusing uh, the, the sign with reality. And this is what I mean. The reality is that God's love is supremely revealed to the world in Jesus. And so everything that we do is a result of that love. Uh, it's done to show the love of Christ to the world, and it's not done to impress anybody. And as we simply love the world, the signs will follow as we live out our lives for Jesus. And so let's never give in to that pressure. Secondly, we can be in danger of simply concentrating on the most spectacular and outstanding expressions of the gospel by human beings. And that can also be a risk. And I've already said, I want to say it again, I think we should be desiring signs and wonders and healing with all of our hearts and praying for them so that we can see them demonstrated through our lives. But I also want to say to you this morning that our regular prayer, our regular worship, our meeting together, our giving, our caring for people in our neighbors, uh, our neighbors and friends, in Jesus' name, that is also a sign. Daily work done well in the service of Christ is a sign. Uh, a holy life, a simple life lived well is a sign to those around us. And we can simply miss that if we're only going after the spectacular. And all of us as Christians, we have the privilege 
of uh, living out God's love in our lives and demonstrating that to everyone. And that is a sign, too, from Him. So let's not, let's not lose either of those things. Let our hearts be after the miraculous, but let us also be living out the love of Christ that is a sign to our, our, our friends and neighbors. And so, again, the story of Mark moves on quite quickly. And Jesus now gives a warning in the, the next portion that we're going to read about what he calls the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and being, that being an influence on his disciples. And so he says this um, in verse 14. Uh, it's interesting, the disciples misunderstand. They think it, again, has got to do with bread, but it's got nothing to do with bread, really. And uh, we read in verse 14, it says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf, which they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed with one another and said, Is this because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, What are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? And when I broke bread... Uh, for the five loaves and the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do, said to them, do you still not understand? You see, Jesus directly saying to them, is directly saying, you've still not understood the lesson that I'm trying to get you to see. Uh, you've seen me feed miraculously great numbers of people, yet you still do not understand about my, uh, my generous heart to care for all of my people. And so the third little story that relates is that Jesus now demonstrates a miracle to, to his disciples to show them physically, in a physical way, what he's meaning. And we read this uh, the story of the man in verse 22. It says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside to the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once again, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. You see, this miracle is directly connected with the disciples' failure to see clearly. What makes this miracle so unusual and unprecedented in the rest of Scripture is that it takes place in two different stages. And I don't think that's included here to, to say to us that Jesus' healing was only half successful, so he needed to do it twice. Uh, that's, that's not what I think Scripture is saying at all, and that shouldn't be our expectation either when we pray for people. This story is included here to show the disciples a picture of themselves. You see, they don't yet fully see Jesus for who He is. Their slowness to see the greatness of Jesus is like a blind man, half-cured, who sees people walking around like trees, not clearly, not in focus. And it's only when this man gets a second touch from Jesus that he clearly sees and then he's fully healed. And I'm convinced that because of the situation in which Jesus and his disciples are in and the way that this miracle is performed, 
It's a hint to the disciples. It's showing them that they too need a second touch from Jesus. They need to see him clearly. They need to see him fully. They need to see him completely for who he is and what he wants to do for them. They've lived with Jesus. They've traveled with him. They've seen him perform amazing miracles and wonders. They've heard all of his teaching, and yet there's still much for them to see. Jesus says directly to them, although they had ears, they still were not hearing clearly. And so with all that they'd seen Jesus do and Jesus teach, they've still not been able to yet see that Jesus was abundantly capable and generously capable of taking care of every single one of his people. And God wants you and I to know that as well, that he's abundantly and generously capable of taking care of every single one of us as his people. And so the disciples, they can only see like a man who's half healed. They can only see people walking around like trees. And you see, you and I can also tend to be like the disciples. Um, People who have not had a second touch from Jesus tend not to see how sufficient God is in every situation. The disciples had seen 5,000 fed. They didn't really expect Jesus to feed 4,000 again. And we can be the same. We can see Jesus do an amazing miracle for us in our lives, but we don't really expect him to do it again. We've seen him provide, but we're not really, our expectation is not really that he can do it again. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to see, and he wants you and I to see, that he's always planning to abundantly provide for every one of us who are his people. He wants you to know that. He wants me to know that. And so do you notice in the story that when Jesus acts, when he moves, there's always a whole lot left over. Do you notice that? He doesn't provide for these people in a stingy way. It says there were seven basketfuls of leftovers after he had fed them. And so anyone who has had a second touch from Jesus knows about his mercy, his compassion. And I believe that if we can, in the, in the same way, know that second touch of Jesus in our lives, we won't panic easily. We won't struggle with God's delays. We won't be those that give in to grumble when we're going through hard times. Why? Because we know how good and kind and faithful and generous God is to all of his people and that he's always willing and abundantly generous in the way that he provides for us. So the question is, have we had a second touch from Jesus? Um, It's wonderful to know his grace. It's wonderful to know his salvation and that he saved us and that our eternal destiny is secure. But what I'm saying this morning is that when we have that second touch from Jesus, we know things at a deeper level and in much more clearly, just as that man saw quite clearly. We discover that Jesus has taken responsibility for us, that he does love us in a very practical way. We see how faithful he is. We see his compassion on our lives. We see his unconditional acceptance of us despite all of our frailties and our weaknesses. And in all of that, we see his abundant provision in our lives. And that he is someone who is our savior, who performs miracles in our lives at the right time and in exactly the right way for each of our lives. He is always the abundant provider. And if Jesus touches our eyes, we see everything clearly and everything properly.
I want to encourage you with that this morning, and I want to finish by just praying for you, every single one of you that's watching this this morning. Uh, If you know Jesus, I celebrate with you. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be saved and to know who Christ is and what He's done for us. But I'm praying for all of us that we will know that second touch. Just as the disciples had seen some things, but they hadn't seen clearly, that we would all see Jesus clearly for who He is, His compassion, His love, and that as we respond, uh, He will be able to do amazing things in our lives uh, as we see Him clearly. And I want to pray for every one of you uh, that you would know that second touch from Jesus, that you would see, like the disciples needed to see the detail much more clearly, that all of us would begin to see the detail of what God wants to do in our lives much more clearly. So let me pray for you. And then uh, I'm going to ask Andrew to lead us out with a song, which just um, will speak of some of the things that I've tried to communicate this morning. So let's pray, and then we can have Andrew lead us. Uh, Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for your power in our lives, and I, I want to thank you, Lord, that you, you do want to show each and every one of us clearly how you want to move in our lives. And sometimes, Lord, we can be like those disciples, uh, we can not quite, we, cannot, not ex- we sometimes don't expect you to move like you have in the past. We, we're grateful for what you've done, but we don't really believe that you can do it again. Lord, help us to see with eyes like uh, that have had that second touch from you. Just as you touched that man and he was able to see even more clearly, we pray that you do the same for us. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would touch our eyes, that we will really see Jesus in the fullness of his compassion who he is, and his abundant generosity in, in our lives for each and every one of us who walks by faith. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that deep in our hearts, that we might move into the fullness and enjoy the fullness of who you are and what you've planned for our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.